everyone. Welcome to this week's episode of the Thrive with the Asbury Seminary podcast. I'm your host, Heidi E. Wilcox, bringing you conversations with authors, thought leaders, and people just like you who are looking to connect where your passion meets the world's deep need. Today on the podcast, I got to talk to John Carroll. John is an Asbury Seminary alum and has served in local churches for over 10 years in many areas, including youth ministry, spiritual formation, and as a teaching pastor. Currently, John is the director of the School of Kingdom Living for Dallas Willard Ministry. His heartbeat includes what he calls the two shifts in life, discipleship and relationship. In today's conversation, we talk about John's calling, how that calling built his faith as an extension of knowledge based upon previous knowledge of what he knew about God, and what it means to be an apprentice of Jesus, and how we can incorporate some of these practices into our own lives. Let's listen. John, it's so good to see you today, even though we're virtually recording this podcast. Thank you so much for being a part of the Thrive with Asbury Seminary podcast. Thank you, Heidi. It's so good to be with you and to connect with your audience. Yeah, yeah. It's good to catch up with you. Um, We talked. your voice's story is very past tense now because a lot of things have changed, and that's why we're talking today, but it, a few years ago. So it's really good to catch up with you today. Um, I know you just got off of vacation. Um, yeah. Where did you guys go? Uh, we went to the Bahamas, which is wow. always go on vacation. Um, yeah, we, we were celebrating our 20th wedding anniversary, which was back in April. And so this is our opportunity to get away without the kids and to just spend a week in the Bahamas and it was every bit as good as you could possibly imagine. Nice. Nice. I, um, I looked up cause you live, you're back in Florida now and I looked up Melbourne, Florida and I was like, wow, you live in paradise all the time. <laughs> so like going to the Bahamas, I don't even like know how you, how you deal with all of that. I know it's kind of weird. It's like you live by the beach and then you take a beachy vacation, but uh, we learned years ago, you know, we did a ski trip in Colorado uh, for vacation. We got back and I said, I'm exhausted. This is a lot of work. I mean, the boots and the, you know, the, the skiing up and down the mountain and stuff. And so um, our, our jam is really to, to just relax uh, on the beach and swim in beautiful waters. And so that's what we, that's what we yeah. did. And I'm guessing living by the beach, you might not get to the beach as often as people who don't live on the beach think that you would. Yeah, it's kind of tough because, you know, we're working full time and we've got two teenagers. And so, yeah, your schedule sort of gets in the way. Yeah. You don't go to the beach as much. And and we really took it for granted before we moved to Kansas. Uh, And then once we got to Kansas, we thought, what, what do we do? <laughs> we really miss the beach. And so now that we're back, uh, we, we get to the beach a lot more now than we did uh, when we lived here previously. Yeah, yeah. But 20 years, that's really awesome. Congratulations. Oh, thank you. Yeah, yeah. I, I totally, as my friends so politely remind me that I totally outkicked my coverage when it came to um, marrying my wife, Amber. Um, she is uh, a saint and just a beautiful person inside and out. And so God yeah. really was good to me. And uh, yeah. How, yeah. How did you two meet? We met in college at UCF uh, through some mutual friends. And um, we, we just clicked right from the get go. And 
Uh, we started dating shortly after we met, and we've been together ever since. That was September of 1998 is when we met. Okay, wow. So, yeah. yeah. What's your secret been? Because I've been married four years. 20 years seems like a really long time, you know, and a lot of people don't make it for the long haul. My parents just celebrated their 50th wedding anniversary. So that was that was really cool. But what's your secret to to making it last? Well, you know, from in a joking sort of way, I'd just, you know, for any guy out there listening, any husband, it's just say yes. You know, yes to you. <laughs> like the two most important words that you could possibly say. But, um, but seriously, I mean, it's really just, um, uh, you know, operating in humility and really not seeing each other above, um, the other person and honoring that person with your time and attention. And, um, and Amber and I just, you know, and we're best friends. I mean, we, we do things together, uh, not just vacations, but, uh, we just do life together and we both bless each other. Um, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you make it sound easy, but after, and it is easy sometimes, but after doing it even just four years, I'm like, it takes work and commitment and intentionality. So, oh, yeah. I mean, and, you know, the, you know, the side that, you know, doesn't often get talked about, but still important is that um, uh, over the years, we've had a really good counselor. I think everybody needs to be in counseling. And um, there were things that I discovered about myself that I needed to work on. And there were things that she discovered about herself that she needed to work on. And we, uh, just, we were serious about our relationship enough to, you know, put in the time and the effort to work on that stuff. And it's still a work in progress. I mean, it's not perfect, but you know, we love each other in such a way that we, we want to you know make that, make those steps. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I love that. I think it's I think it's beautiful watching two lives get woven together in in that way, you know, that it's just I think because we have neighbors across the street who've been married like 60, 70 years, they're in their 90s yeah. now. And it's just it's been a real encouragement to me just to watch them and you can't tell exactly where one ends and the other begins. They just are in that perpetual give and take kind of thing. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And the give and take is so important. Because you're not going to get it 100 percent of the time, and and so yeah, to um, you know to just do things equally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's awesome. So, what you know, 2020 has been a year for all of us, and I know we were talking before the podcast. You've had some some things happen, as we all have this year. What is what has this year been like for you and your family? Um, Well, challenging uh, for for sure. there was a lot of uncertainty that we experienced. And so uh, I was working full-time for uh, Friends University in Wichita, Kansas, and specifically for a program there called uh, the Apprentice Institute. And I was serving as the director of operations. I oversaw the finances and operations for uh, the Institute. And, and I've been there for six and a half years. And I was primarily leading a program called the Apprentice Experience. Uh, it's a certificate program in spiritual formation. And, and, and so the pandemic started in March and then at the end of May, uh, I was told that the university decided they wanted to go in a different direction. They wanted to focus on academics strictly and the apprentice experience was more ministry than anything else. Mm -hmm. And so they decided that they wanted to reroute funding and energies into uh, undergraduate education. And so they eliminated the apprentice experience and eliminated my job. And so, um, 
that was a total blindside. I did not expect that to happen. Yeah. And, and it really caused us to take a step back and, and think about really what our next steps were. And in fact, I called Amber uh, after the meeting where I was told about what was going on. I went back into the office and she, uh, I said, Hey, I'm, I was let go. Uh, They canceled the program and and I let go. And, and, we talked about it for a minute and then there was some silence and then we just started cracking up laughing. <laughs> wow. And we said, okay, what now, God? And, and really the real beautiful thing out of all that is, um, I mean, God demonstrated yet again uh, his faithfulness to us and, and leading us out of a time of uncertainty and turmoil into, you know, really good and beautiful things. We were serving as uh, co-pastors of a church in Kansas, mm-hmm. uh, and we had been at that church for four years. And, and so part of our discernment process was, you know, what do we do uh, about our leadership in the yeah. church? And yeah. we felt like it was time for us to move back home to Florida, to Melbourne, uh, where we had spent 13 years prior to Kansas. And... And so we we made the tough decision to resign from the church, and that was a very hard thing for us and for the church to go through, mm-hmm. particularly because it was still in the middle of COVID. But uh, we worked with the church in order to set up a transition plan that was going to work, and they have a lead pastor. And uh, from everything that I've been hearing, he's been doing an incredible job of leading through this tough time. And so we felt good about uh, the church yeah. being in his hands and in God's hands. Yeah. And then, you know, we, we made the transition back home to Florida in August last year. Wow. Wow. Moving during a pandemic. Yes. I don't recommend yes. it. <laughs> yeah, but you, you made it. We made it. Yeah. Yeah. I just really admire your, well, what struck me about that story was your laughter in the middle. Like, I think I would be crying, but you're just like, what next, God? Um, so I want to back up for just a minute. You must have you must have a very trusting relationship with God. So I want to back up before we move yeah. forward. How did you experience your call to ministry that when things aren't going as you thought they were, like in a day, that you yeah. could be like, okay, like this is this is gonna be okay? Yeah, that's a great question. You know, and I'll start by talking a little bit about faith. Um, you know, like the, the way that um one of my mentors explains uh, faith is that it's an extension of knowledge based on knowledge. Mm. And, and that, I mean, you really have to sort of sit with that thought for a while. Um, you know, and, and the way that, that we can unpack faith through that definition is that, you know, if we've experienced God uh, working in a particular way in the past, or maybe we've, ex- we've witnessed God working through the life of another individual, whether it's presently or maybe even through Uh, a biblical character that we read about in scripture, you know, if we can understand how God has worked in the past, then we can have faith that God will do that again. Mm -hmm. And in in, in our move from Florida to Kansas in 2014 was tough. There was a lot of transition that was happening there, um, but God was faithful in that process. So when we were planning to move back to Florida, we could really move with faith to know that, you know, God can do this again. That yeah. that wasn't a one-time thing that you know God will find a way and 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 so that really helped support um, our confidence 
in moving back to Florida. But, you know, in terms of like my call story, like how, how I was called to ministry, I mean, like this, um, this probably was one of the more formational experiences that I've had in my life because, um, we, we were not, we were not really living the right way. Um, when I was experiencing my call to ministry, you know, we, we were struggling. So I was working in corporate America. This is like, this was back in 2006. I was working in okay. corporate healthcare. Uh, Amber was working in the church full time. Um, but, um, you know, we thought we were living the American dream. I mean, we had mm-hmm. a three bedroom, two bath house. We had the white picket fence. Uh, we had two kids, two dogs, two cars, two mortgages. And, um, you know, the author, uh, Shane Claiborne, you know, he says that uh, most people, you know, like the world can't afford the American dream, but I'd argue that most Americans can't afford it either. And we certainly couldn't afford it because we were living well beyond our means despite making a good income. Mm-hmm. And so we were in debt and we started to notice this um, discrepancy, this disconnect between our apprenticeship to Jesus and the way that we were living our lives. And so we decided that we were going to take some radical steps in order to get out of debt. So mm-hmm. the first thing we said is like, we're just going to, we're going to stop paying for cable. You know, it's too expensive. So we're going to cut the cord. Well, you know, we, we cut the cord before cutting the cord was cool. And there were no streaming services that, you know, you could subscribe to at that time. You know, Netflix really wasn't much of a thing, uh, certainly not mm-hmm. in an online platform, but um, so we cut the cord. Um, I stopped getting my hair cut back when I had hair and my <laughs> Amber said, I'm not going to get my hairstyle, like the, the, the color and the style and the whole thing. And so we're going to save money there. And then we also said, we're not going to eat out at restaurants anymore. No more restaurants. And, but that was like, it was like trying to drain a pool with a turkey baster. I mean, you know, it, it was going to take a long time to really get gotcha. out of the kind of debt that we had. But in November 2007, so fast forward about a year or so, um, we went to a National Youth Workers Convention in Atlanta, and it was the first time I had been to anything like that. I mean, my eyes were really open, 7,000 youth youth workers that are there, and they had all these different authors and speakers who would come up on stage and give a talk. And so um, the, the talk that really made the biggest impression on us was this guy, you know, he is this lanky white dude with dreadlocks and a do-rag and he gets on stage and he does this little trick with fire and then he um, does a backflip and says, well, maybe that'll win somebody for Jesus. <laughs> and I'm like, this is bizarre. And then, and then he says, I'm going to tell you the greatest sermon you've ever heard. And I'm like, okay, so you got my attention. And so he just simply opens the Bible, reads the Sermon on the Mount in its entirety. And then he closes the Bible, sets it on the podium and walks off the stage. And we're like, who is this guy? And, and, and we knew when he was given the talk, but I mean, it turns out it was Shane Claiborne. Wow. Just written his book, uh, Irresistible Revolution. So Amber's like, I got to get his book. And so we're at this bookstore in the, at the Youth Worker Convention, and it's kind of this open air. Everybody's just kind of walking around, and the, the line to buy things was a mile long. And Amber said, will you stand in line and buy the book while I continue to shop? And I'm like, sure. <laughs> so I'm standing in line, reading the back of the book. And I'm trying to learn a little bit about this guy and reading the endorsements and all that stuff. And so the face of the book is pointed out and some guy I never met just starts walking by and he points at the book and he says, that book's going to change your life. And wow. Like, yeah. 
so I was, I was like going, I'm, I'm really interested now to read this book. And so we get home from the conference and we started reading the book right away. And uh, the, some of the lessons that Shane uh, included in the book was like how to be an ordinary radical in your everyday life. And then also how to love your enemy. And we had no idea how quickly that uh, we'd have to apply what we learned in this book. And, and so because we weren't going out to uh, restaurants for dinners and stuff, Amber's parents are feeling kind of bad for us. And so her mom slipped us 20 bucks and she said, go out to dinner. So we're thinking, well, where can we take the kids to dinner? Because at this time they were three and one years old. So we're going to oh, take yeah. the kids to go get uh, something cheap. For twenty bucks, <laughs> right? And and so there was this great little Mexican restaurant that was around the corner from her house, and they had great food, and uh, it was pretty inexpensive, and and usually we can get in and get out real quick. Um, but the the night that we ended up going was a Saturday night. It was packed, super busy, and we once we got seated, it took forty five minutes in order for oh. um, like the, our food to come. But it, like towards the end of that time. Um, while we're waiting, the kids are getting really restless. Yes, of course. Yeah, I mean, they, you know, they're three and they're one and and they're hungry and there's only, only so many little Cheerios and things that you can give them, uh, chips and salsa. And so uh, they started to get noisy. There was a table of three 60-something-year-olds that were sitting right next to us. And this woman at that table just stands up and she screams at the top of her lungs, will you shut those kids up? Oh my goodness. And we're shocked. We're like, are you serious? And she says, I'm absolutely serious. I'm just saying what everybody in this restaurant is thinking. You're bad parents. Oh and, my gosh. Yeah. And 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 now everybody uh, you know, is turned around and they start applauding. They don't even know what they're really applauding for, but they're just like this mob mentality of, Hey, yeah, let's jump in on what this lady's doing. And so they start applauding and, and I'm trying to get this lady to calm down. And she's standing between me and my three-year-old son and she's threatening to hit me. And my, the, in a previous life, I would have stood up and punched that lady in the face. <laughs> like, the spirit's hands were on my shoulders. Yeah. Just stay in your seat. It's going to be okay. And so I finally get her to sit down. The neighbor and I are looking at each other like, I can't believe that just happened. Yeah. And so a woman from another table who is eating dinner with uh, her family, she comes over and she says, I am so sorry that happened. Nobody should ever go through anything like that. We want you to have our $30 gift certificate to the restaurant. And I said, no, no, you don't need to do that. And she's like, no, we insist. We really want you to have that. And so I'm finally like, okay, we'll take it. So now we've very got, kind. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was so sweet. And uh, um, and so we've got this $30 gift certificate plus the $20 that we had. And, um, and so Amber says, you know what we should do? We should buy the mean people's dinner and write on the receipt because you need more love in your life. <laughs> I like Amber. <laughs> know, right? And I said, you know, that, that's a great idea, but if we're going to do it, we're going to do it right. And so uh, so I called the waiter over and I said, would you bring us their receipt, but also bring ours because we're out of here. Like we've had enough. And so we, we boxed up our stuff. And, and the, no, um, the waiter said, no, he actually refused to bring us the other table's ticket. And I said, no, I'm serious. I, we're going to buy their dinner. And he said, why would you do that? 
because he knew. Wow. Yeah. I mean, you know, yeah. He, he knew how they treated us. He, he knew that we were embarrassed. And so, um, and, and he said, why would you do that? And I said, it's because it's what we should do. So then I go over to the table of the nice people and I said, hey, thanks again for the gift certificate. We're going to use that to buy our dinner, but I just want you to know that we're also going to buy their dinner too. And the wife was like, why would you do that? Second time that question. Yeah. Yeah. And so I said, well, it's because it's what we feel like we should do. Mm -hmm. So we pay for both dinners and we're walking out the door and this lady comes running out of the restaurant screaming, stop, wait. And I'm thinking, oh my gosh, can we just get out of here? Yeah. Yeah. It was the manager on duty. And she gets up close because it's dark outside. It's about nine o'clock at night at this time. And, and so she, uh, she comes up to us and I could see she has tears coming down her face. And she said, um, she said, I just heard about what happened. I am so sorry, but I heard you bought their dinner. Why would you do that? Third time, Heidi. Third time, yeah. Third time that question comes up. And this time I said, it's because it's what Jesus would do. Oh, wow. Yeah. And she said, that's the most beautiful thing I've ever heard. And so we get into the car and we're kind of catatonic. And Amber goes, that was so humiliating. And I said, it's nothing compared to what Jesus went through. And I don't know if God really tests us, but I do think that God wants to know if we can be trusted with ministry. Mm -hmm. I think at that time, God wanted to know if we could be trusted with ministry particularly me, because I, you know, like that was really the beginning of, you know, moving from corporate America into ministry. But uh, after that, our faith was ignited. We said something went on here. I mean, like there's something to loving your enemy and blessing those who persecute you. Yeah. And so we started digging into more books. We started reading more scripture. And, um, and then one, one day about um, nine or 10 months after that event happened um, in my office, I'm still working in healthcare. And I'm the first one there. I've got my cup of coffee poured and I'm looking around my office at all of the awards that are hanging on my walls. And I just said out loud, this isn't what I'm supposed to be doing with my life. Wow. So I called Amber on the way home from work and she said, well, what's going on? Just kind of starting conversation. And I said, I think I want to quit my job. And yeah. She, and what did she say? <laughs> she goes, awesome. What happened? Because <laughs> 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 he knew. She, she, yeah. she knew for months that God was working on me. And I yeah. had heard from God to say that this isn't what I'm supposed to be doing with my life. And, and so she's like, well, what does that mean? I said, I don't know, but I think it may include seminary. So uh, we start praying about that. And we started having conversations with friends at our church about, like, what does this mean? Yeah. And then some friends um, that we were in, in community with, that we were uh, going to church with, and, uh, and, and our friend Jim Bennett came over one day and um, said, you know, I talked with my family and we want the Carols to sell their house and sell their things and move in with us so that we can pay for John to go to seminary. No and, way. Like, yeah. I mean, and, that's and that really crazy. Cool. Oh, yeah. I mean. Had you guys talked about that or did, did he just kind of come up there out of the blue? Out of the blue. Out wow. The blue. And. You know, we we just we 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 talked about it, we prayed about it, uh, and we would just kind of go back and forth, like over a month's time, um, from the end of November to the end of December of two thousand eight. We were just 
Like, this is crazy. This is radical. This is the kind of stuff that Shane talks about in his book. But then, um, you know, like the other side of us was like, this is stupid. We've got responsibility. We've got kids. We can't do this. Right, right. And then in December, uh, we had gone away and we came back and we said, no, this is what we feel like God has next for us. And so the four of us moved in with the five of the Bennett's and we did community living for 19 months. It was wow, wow, to pay off y'all's debt so that you could go to seminary. Yep. Wow. And you know, because there's no way that we were going to be able to afford me, you know, quitting my job, and so yeah. I continued to work in healthcare for that 19 months, and we we just aggressively paid off debt. We pulled all of our uh, paychecks into one bank account, and we just attacked debt, um, kind of Dave Ramsey style. Yeah. Uh, and so we just would, you know, do the snowball thing. And, uh, and, and we paid off, uh, all of our debt in 19 months. Wow. And, and so, uh, that in the fall of 2010, that's when I started my first semester at Asbury and, uh, in Orlando. Wow. That's incredible. And what a, what a gift I've never, until you and I talked, I had never heard of anybody offering that to another couple just out of the blue to help them like that. That's amazing. Yeah, it was extraordinary um, generosity, and, yeah. and I think that they were feeling uh, equally like they they wanted to do something kind of radical for God as well, and yeah. and so that's and it was right. I mean, we we lost some friendships. People were like, "This is a little too weird," um, and so we had some friends bail on us because of what we were doing, but uh, we didn't let that detour us. We were really had a singular focus on you know, getting us into a position where I could quit yeah. my job. So that knowledge upon knowledge led you and Amber to the point where you get laid off from your job very early on in COVID yeah. when there aren't a lot of other jobs out there. You know, if you have one at that point, you really want to keep it. Um, yeah. So what, what did you, what did you do or what did God do next? Yeah. Um, well, I think God just, um, started opening doors. Yeah. He's good at that, isn't he? He really is. And, and, and we definitely experienced that. I mean, you know, God opened a door for us to move in with the other family. God opened yeah. a door for me to go to Asbury. Part of the real beautiful uh, seminary experience is that uh, I received the, the Callis scholarship and um, stewarded that well and, and uh, was really humbled by, you know, the opportunity to have that kind of a scholarship. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. Um, and, uh, and, but then, you know, God opened door, uh, opened doors for us to go to Kansas in 2014. And so I really knew that God would open another door for us, uh, in whatever this next season held. And we, we just felt like it was time to move back to Florida. So after I lost my job with uh, the Apprentice Institute, I got a call from the board chair, uh, of Dallas Willard Ministries, um, woman by the name of Jan Johnson, who is a great friend in ministry. And we had um, known each other for about seven years. And she said, I've got an idea. And I said, okay. You're like, I'm listening. <laughs> and as she said, you know, Dallas Willard Ministries has always wanted to have some sort of a training program, um, but we just didn't have the person to do it. But um, you're a free agent now and you've learned from all of your mistakes. You've learned from all of your successes, like you're the perfect person to build this thing for us. Mm-hmm. Would you come to Dallas Willard Ministries and start a new program? 
And that was the open door. Yeah. How long after you'd been laid off did this phone call happen? Four days. (laughs) Wow. Wow. That's incredible. Yeah. 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 So, um, so yeah, I I didn't have to wait long, but the, the, the journey of building it, you know, took a little while. And, and, and so that's where some of that sort of that extension of knowledge based on knowledge, you know, really came into play because it it just didn't happen overnight. You know, not only they invite me to, to build a program, but they invited me to build a program in the middle of a pandemic. Right. So, yeah. So what did you, you're, you're moving across country, but you know, back to your home state, you're, you're building something new, even though you have experience doing it. Yeah. What did you learn about God? What do you know about God now that you didn't know about him last year? Oh man. I mean, I, I knew God loved me, but God really loves me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, I mean, like I, I almost feel spoiled in some, you know, sometimes, you know, like how extravagant, you know, God loves me. I mean, I, I, I think about that passage from Ephesians three, where it's like, you know, immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine. Um, you know, and, and I feel like God has, given me immeasurably more than all I can ask or imagine in this season because, um, you know, I, I really didn't expect much. I just was kind of hoping to sort of keep things afloat until the pandemic was over. But, but I mean, it was clear God was in the details and, and God worked things out that was like supernatural. Like I'm not smart enough. I'm not good enough to figure this stuff out, but God can and God did. And that's really what blew me away. I mean, I think that's what I discovered so much about God was that, you know, uh, he just worked things out better than I could have possibly asked for. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I'm blown away by the four days after. I think that's really incredible. So you obviously knew about Dallas Willard Ministries beforehand. Mm-hmm. What, what kind of impact had this ministry or even Dallas Willard himself had on you? had on you personally so that you knew this is this is my next right thing? Yeah, uh, that's a good question. So in 2009, um, I was doing, you know, we, we were doing community living with the other family, but I was still working in healthcare. Um, so I, I knew that I was being called into ministry, but but I, I discovered that I didn't really have like a, a firm understanding of what it means to really live out my faith. And, um, and, and Dallas changed that for me. Because I was listening to a podcast where Dallas was being interviewed at a church and the pastor was fielding questions from the audience. And then he was asking them to Dallas and then Dallas would answer. And so one of the questions that came in was, why is God such a big deal? And if Jesus is a big deal, then how would you advise me to proceed to follow him? That is a great question. Yeah, right? I mean, a big question. I mean, that thing is packed. And so Dallas thought about it for a moment, and then he said, well, don't start by doing the big things. Instead, start by putting into practice the things that Jesus taught about, trusting him to be right about it. And then gradually, you'll come to discover what a big deal he is. Wow. So when I heard that, I was on my way into work. I literally pulled my car off into a parking lot of a gas station, and I rewound the podcast. And I wrote down the question 
and the answer verbatim. Yeah. You know, the way that I'd always understood it is that, you know, your Christianity is about, you know, like learning things and doing the right things and sort of being on your best behavior. But Dallas changed all that. He really uh, helped me understand that, you know, the Christian faith is about putting into practice the teachings of Jesus and then watching how your life will be different, how you're transformed. And it's really from moving from information to transformation. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so that was a big part of how, you know, I started to really live out my faith is to, you know, to practice the teachings of Jesus. And that really uh, ignited my passion for Christian spiritual formation, and which is really, I mean, it's all about putting into practice the teachings of Jesus to, you know, experience that transformation. So yeah, that, that was a yeah. huge moment for me. And, and then in 2011, in my second year of seminary, I had the opportunity to go see Dallas speak at a conference. Oh, wow. And, and I, I brought the journal that I had written that quote down. And, uh, and I, I stayed after uh, Dallas's workshop because I, I sat in a workshop and had my mind blown for like an hour. And, he was <laughs> and I'm jotting all these notes down. And then, and then I, I, I waited to talk to him. And one of the really beautiful things about Dallas is that when you had an opportunity to meet him in person and talk to him, he was only focused on you. There could be 30 people behind you in line, but he's looking directly at you and you can tell that he was really listening to what you were saying. That's incredible. Yeah. And, uh, and I said, you know, Dallas, like what you said here, this answer about putting into practice the teachings of Jesus changed it for me. And he just snatched my journal because I showed him what I'd written down. He snatched my journal out of my hand and he signed his name and he put the passage Isaiah 64, 4 in it. And then um, I said, hey, do you mind if I get my picture with you? And so I got my <laughs> and, and so that was my only opportunity to connect with him. And he passed away um, less than two years later from cancer. And, wow. and so I was really grateful to have that opportunity. Yeah. Yeah. So in some ways it's like not your spiritual home necessarily. I'm kind of searching for words here, but kind of returning to a place that was started at all for you in some ways, like that seriously changed your trajectory. Absolutely. Oh yeah. yeah. Without a doubt. I mean that and yeah. Go ahead. And now you get to do that for, for other people too, right? So um yes. so one of the things that you said that you're passionate about is you call them the the two ships in life, discipleship and relationship. So yeah. what does that mean exactly? And how do they, how do they go together? Well, um, you know, I, I, I mean, one of the things that I think about, like apprenticeship to Jesus is the greatest opportunity that we've ever been offered um, yeah. to really sit underneath the teachings of Jesus because it's so transformational. So, and I, 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 I say, I used a, uh, discipleship in, you know, uh, sort of my introduction because a lot of people aren't familiar with the term apprentice, but really apprentice is uh, a beautiful way to, to think about it. I mean, in some context, I think discipleship has lost a little bit of its oomph, you know, a little bit mm-hmm. of its emphasis um, because it's just a term that we hear quite a bit, but apprenticeship sort of piques people's interest and mm-hmm. uh, causes them to lean in a little bit more. 
And, but they mean the same thing. It's really, you know, sitting at the feet of our master instructor or master rabbi Jesus and, and, and putting into practice the things that he taught. So I, I definitely think that, you know, our calling as followers of Jesus is, you know, to apprentice him or, you know, be a disciple and, and to live out discipleship. And so that's really where that comes from. But really, you know, we're meant to do this in community with other people. Um, you know, apprenticeship or discipleship isn't really meant to be done alone. And I love when people connect with one another in relationship. I like to bring people together uh, to, to learn and to grow. And so that's, that's where that comes from. I just I, I want people to follow Jesus in every area of their life and to do it in community with other people. Yeah. What does it mean for you personally to be a disciple of Jesus? What does that look like? I would say that it, it's it's really about examining the different areas of my life, you know, and really not compartmentalizing, but allowing everything to be affected or influenced by the teachings mm-hmm. of Jesus. So I don't have my work life that stands alone from my marriage, that stands alone from my parenting, that stands alone from my friendships and my hobbies and so on and so forth, but really, it's um, it's like the, the the vines, you know, the, the the veins of Jesus are flowing to every area yeah. and, and nourishing. Yeah, and, and so I think that's what it means. I think that's a beautiful a beautiful picture of integrating it, integrating it all together. And I love how you talked about being apprentice, an apprentice of Jesus, because um, I I do think. That discipleship has lost, like you said, lost some of its. Oomph. But being an apprentice, you're you're follow. I think of following this person around. You know, you're learning how to do something, and you move on. In like a construction world, you move on through the steps of being a journeyman, and you know, not and then finally doing it on your own, which is not the point of following Jesus. But you know, like you you grow in your faith. Yeah, yeah, you definitely grow and. And and and, and uh, one of the things that Dallas would talk about is that you cannot impart that which you do not possess. Yes. Um, so you give away what you don't have, and you know. And so you know, if if the Great Commission is to make disciples, well, how are you going to make disciples if you're not a disciple yourself? Yeah. Um, yeah. So so you really need to you know think uh, intentionally about uh, how are you growing? Uh, how are you? Mm-hmm growing with God? How are you cultivating a relationship with God so that yeah. you can be a person who can give this stuff away to other people and help them grow in their life? Yeah, yeah. And now you're the director of the School of Kingdom Living for Dallas Willard Ministries. And if I understand right, that's an 18-month immersion into the process of putting on the character of Jesus. Would you tell us a little bit about this process? Yes, and uh, yeah, this has um, really been a joy uh, to lead yeah. the school of living. And so, um, it's an eighteen-month school or a program, and we have four week-long residencies over the eighteen months. So we meet in person four times uh, at five days apiece, and we uh, and we we come together to study really two things that um, that Dallas was passionate about. And that's uh, character formation into Christ likeness and kingdom living. Mm. And and so uh, we have, you know, one of the things that I think is important for uh, the audience to to know is that this isn't for trained theologians, um, but this is really for anybody. 
Um, and, and so you don't need a specific degree in order to, to uh, do the School of Kingdom Living. Um, you just really want to have a heart to uh, apprentice Jesus at a deeper level. Wow. Yeah. And uh, in the curriculum that we use um, is taken from Dallas's books, um, but we also augment that uh, with other authors. And so we're reading from some really gifted people in the field of spiritual formation. And our faculty are, uh, include people who have trained with Dallas for decades. Um, Jan wow. Johnson, who's you know, the person who invited me into this you know, crazy thing. Um, uh-huh, yeah. Uh, um, and she's one of our faculty and she's written books with Dallas and she's taught with Dallas and uh, she's close friends with the Willard family. And then uh, Keith Matthews, um, she, D- Keith was Dallas's teaching assistant at Fuller Seminary for 18 years. So, you know, he, he was learning as he was assisting uh, all that time. And so Jan and Keith are our primary faculty. And it's amazing because when they teach, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm listening to it and I feel like uh, I'm hearing from Dallas himself sometimes through their teachings. I mean, you can really hear Dallas's heart uh, through mm-hmm. the stuff that they teach. But really, one of the things that makes the School of Kingdom Living so good is our pedagogy, sort of the way that we teach and facilitate our residencies. Mm-hmm. Because um, we, we do have lectures and people will take notes. Uh, so the cohort you know, will come together and, and the students will take notes during the lectures, but then frequently there'll be a spiritual practice or a soul training exercise that connects to the lecture. And that practice may be 30 minutes or might be an hour, it might be longer, but we're giving people an opportunity to experiment with the stuff that we're teaching. And then we'll come back from the practice and either as an entire cohort or uh, we'll break people into their small groups, or we may just say, hey, turn to the person next to you. Uh, yeah. Give us feedback. Uh, like, what were you experiencing? What was going on in the middle of that practice? Uh, did you hear anything from God? Um, and and so the idea is that you hear it in the practice, and then or you hear it in the lecture, and then you do it in the practice, and then you're processing it in community with other people. And that's yeah. what we've discovered to be a reliable model of transformation. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Um, we'll definitely link all of that in the show notes too, so that if people are interested in contacting you or learning more about the School of Kingdom Living, they can find out more about that. Um, one of the things too, though, is that you mentioned the first time we talked, and I think definitely connects to the School of Kingdom Living and the discipleship apprenticeship process is you said that one of the things we need to get straight from the get-go is that God loves you. And then I'm going to abbreviate your quote a little bit. And you ended with, God's not up in heaven eating antacids because he's upset with you. <laughs> and yeah. that just really stood out to me um, because for me personally, and I'm guessing for a lot of other people, I know God loves me up here. I just have yeah. a hard time sometimes really understanding it in my heart and like the deep places of my soul. So how does the, how do we learn this? How does the apprenticeship process help us come to understand this, not just in our head, but in our hearts too? Well, I think it's talking a lot about uh, the narratives that uh, we, we hold on to, you know, so maybe a, a false narrative would cause you to kind of maybe know it at a head level that God is good and that God is love, but not really accept that at the heart level. And, and so, it, you know, we, we do examine the narratives 
uh, that people hold on to. And in over the years, I mean, I've had, you know, people come up to me in, in programs that I've led in the past and, and, and they, they share that with me. I mean, and, and it's funny because I know I grew up and I went to a private Christian school growing up and I never had any like false narratives about God, that God is angry or that God's out to get us. Um, mm-hmm. You know, but and so it was it was kind of eye opening to me when I started to get into you know full time spiritual formation work that people were carrying around this idea that you know God was out to get them, and I'd have people come up to me all the time with tears in their eyes saying, "I can't believe that I've gone my entire life thinking that God is angry with me," and there have been pastors who have said, "And what's worse is that I can't believe that I've been teaching that theology to my congregations." Oh wow! Yeah. Yeah. And so it's important, you know, to to really understand you know, who God is, um, what the nature and character of God. I mean, you can't really have a healthy spiritual formation if your views of God are unhealthy. And and that's why it's really important to get that stuff squared away on the front end, because yeah. it allows you to really grow um, in grace and truth. Uh, yeah. How do we undo? How do we undo these narratives to know the truth? Well, I think it's really studying Jesus. I mean, I yeah. think that you know, Jesus, you know, said, "I'm the way, the truth, and the life." And you know, and you know, in John fourteen nine, whoever has you know seen me has seen the Father. I mean, that's uh, you know, there's there's a, a an, sort of an exercise that I heard about some years ago where um, a guy was facilitating a, a class. And uh, they wrote God on on one side of a whiteboard and Jesus on the other and had people um, write all the attributes about God. And and people in this class were saying, like, you know, angry and, you know, know, judge and, you know, mean and vindictive and all this stuff. And then they get to Jesus and they'd say loving and graceful and, um, you know, compassionate and all that stuff. So there's this huge disparity between the attributes of God and the attributes of Jesus. And that's where, you know, the, the facilitator, the teacher made the connection that like, no, um, you know, it, you know, if, if your um, view of God is anything different than Jesus, then you've got the wrong view of God. Wow. Yeah. And so we, wow. we really understand God through Jesus. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. When people finish the School of Kingdom Living and receive a certificate, is that right? Yes. Yeah. How do you know? How do you know that that you've succeeded, and not you, but that all the all the pieces have come together to make an apprentice who has grown grown in his or her faith? Well. You know, like you know, that's like the real challenge of the church, right? It's like how do you measure right. disciples? You know that, that right. is hard. I mean, you know, we, um, you know, we can't guarantee results, and we have some anticipated yeah. outcomes. You know, like you know, like these are the things that you could maybe expect of being a part of the School of Kingdom Living. You know, we say, you know, we want to help you grow deeper in your relationship with God, and we also want to connect you in authentic community with other people. Yeah. And then the third thing is that, you know, we want to give you some tools to stick in your spiritual tool belt, uh, some things to help you along the way um, that you'll use in your in your journey with God and your walk with Jesus. But then also you're going to use those tools to help other people. Um, you know, and, and so, I mean, those are the things that we anticipate for people. And I would say that, you know, 
you could feel confident that those will be some things that um, will come out of it. But the stories that I've had people share with me over the years about, you know, how much a uh, an eighteen month program has impacted them is really blows me out of the water. I mean, I've had couples do this kind of a thing together, a married couple, and they mm-hmm. you know saved our marriage. Um, I've had guys say, I, I mean, I was on the on the verge of ministry burnout, just not even sure that I wanted to be in ministry anymore. But I feel renewed, I've a new sense of calling, um, mm-hmm. you know. A more clarity around um, what I believe God has called me to do. So I do think that those are some things that you know, people could expect as well, is that yeah. they're going to feel a lot more grounded and connected. Yeah. 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 And have tools for the long, for the, the long haul, the rest of their lives. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. yeah we definitely yeah. don't want what people learn in the School of Kingdom Living to end when the school ends. You know, we want to equip them for the life ahead. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, John, we've talked about a lot of things. Um, before we get, we have one question we ask everybody. Before we ask that question, is there anything yeah. else you'd like to talk about that we haven't already talked about? Wow, we've covered. So <laughs> uh, no, I, I mean, from vacations to vocations. <laughs> yeah, to, yeah, we've kind of. Yeah, we've yeah, we've kind of done it all. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, here's our one question we ask everybody because the show is called the Thrive with Asbury Seminary podcast. What is one practice that is helping you thrive in your life right now? Well, I would I, I would say the short answer is um, silence and solitude. Wow. Uh, interesting. Yeah. yeah. And, and you know, there's a little bit of a backstory with it, um, if I may. Um, oh, yeah, please. How I got there. So. You know, after I lost my job at Apprentice and, and, and I knew that I was coming down to Florida to build the School of Kingdom Living for Dallas Willard Ministries, um, my wife Amber um, was getting ready to pilot a micro church planting movement in Melbourne for our denomination, uh, the Evangelical Covenant Church. And in COVID, uh, some things got hung up and we weren't exactly sure if that was going to happen. And, and so we got connected to a friend who uh, was in the covenant, but um, he also had a connection with Stadia, the church planting organization. And, and so Stadia was like, hey, we would love for you to go through our assessment, our church planting assessment, and, um, and then begin this church planting movement. But there was like six weeks of preparation for uh, the assessment that Amber and I had to do together, some pre-work. Mm-hmm. And, and so uh, we were already two weeks into the pre-work phase, but we hadn't even started it yet. And, and one morning we were getting ready for work and Amber's like, you know, uh, we're already two weeks behind and our pre-work, when are we going to get to this? And that's when I said, you know, over the last 11 years, a lot of things have happened. Uh, we've done community living. I graduated from Asbury with my MDiv. Uh, we relocated to Kansas. I started a, a certificate program in spiritual formation. Uh, we replanted uh, a church on the brink of closing, and we co-pastored it into health. Um, I lost my job in the pandemic. We resigned from the church. We moved back to Florida. I launched a new certificate program in spiritual formation, and you graduated with your master's from Fuller. Uh, and, and now we're talking about launching a microchurch movement. And I said, over the last 11 years, We've been doing a lot of doing, but we haven't been doing a lot of being. Oh, that's good. 
And one of the things that I realized when I got back to Florida is that I don't have any significant male friendships. You know, I feel very lonely and, and I have no hobbies. And I was actually listening to a podcast a couple of years ago and Nancy Orberg was being interviewed on the podcast. And she said that Azusa Pacific University did some research about the number one key to sustainability for lead pastors. And, uh, and the research that came back said that it wasn't spiritual practices and it wasn't more education. It, the number one key to sustainability was finding a hobby that when you do it, it causes you to lose track of time. Wow. Isn't that fascinating? Yeah. And That's so, incredible. Yeah. So I, I knew I, I needed to find a hobby. I needed to figure out really who I am in this new season of life before I can really confidently lead uh, others into something new. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so that's when I discovered uh, this uh, tool. It's called a monk manual. I don't know if you've ever heard it. I have not. And so what it is, it's a faith-based 90-day planner that has been instrumental in helping me structure my days and my weeks and my months in a way that makes space for God. And also for me to discover the things that I need most in this new season of life. Yeah. And Dallas uh, believed that uh, we have to take a different approach to life. And the key to that is understanding that we must take control of our time so that we can organize our work in such a way that we can do the things we need to do to move from here to there. And, and Dallas said, we, how we choose our time is the biggest test of our faith that we will ever have. Wow. Wow, those are some powerful words right there. Yeah, yeah. And, and so, you know, the world is competing for our attention and on social yeah. media and TV and just about anywhere else. But the thing is, God doesn't compete for our attention. And so we have to intentionally give it to him. We have to slow down. And the best way to do that I have found in this season of life is silence and solitude. Wow. Yeah. You know, and Jesus did this all the time. Yeah, you know, he did. He, he was healing and he was teaching. He was in the crowd and then he would withdraw to be with the father. And so I've incorporated a rhythm of silence and solitude. And that has been wonderful. Wow. Can I ask what that rhythm looks like for you? Yeah. I mean, because I have the benefit of living close to the ocean, um, like I literally, from my house, my toes are in sand in 12 minutes. And wow. Yeah. Seriously and, jealous right now. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and so I, I love to just grab a chair and an umbrella and, and just sit on the beach and stare out at this, this vast ocean, the Atlantic, and just um, really spend time with God. And, and the hobby that I picked up was surfing, um, which works out well since I'm so yeah. close. Yeah. So I've got back in the surfing, I've got a surfboard, and I just love to be out in the ocean too and, and just by myself and float. I mean, like being on your board in the ocean, there's just something about it that makes you feel so small yet so connected to God, mm -hmm. uh, just in creation, in nature, with God. And, uh, and I absolutely love it. And, and just being in silence and solitude really helps you notice. 
And mm-hmm. I think that it's that it's possible to experience Jesus' presence just by simply noticing, you know, in this world that it competes for our attention. You know, my job is just to learn how Jesus is at work in my life and then talk to him about it through prayer. One thing I'm learning is that prayer isn't, it doesn't have to be as formal as I always thought it was. You know, I can just like say something and be talking to God. It doesn't have to be, it can be on my knees, like really structured, but it can just be, I'm going about my day too and be like, thank you for this beautiful morning that I'm walking into work in or something like that. And I, I just really love that discovery. So I just resonate with what you're saying about that too. Yeah. And that was one of the things that I picked up while at Asbury. Uh, one of the professors there, you know, talked about having an ongoing conversation with God where, you know, if it's, if you think about it like a phone call, you know, you don't have to pick up the phone, have a conversation and hang up the phone, but you know, that line can stay open. And that's something that really, helped shape and form me while I was in seminary to this day. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. That's beautiful. Well, John, thanks so much for your time. I've just really enjoyed this conversation and getting to learn more about you and catch up with you, number one, but hear just how your calling has continued to grow and change as you continue to say yes to God. So thanks so much for being part of the show today. Oh, thank you so much, Heidi. It's a, a blessing to be with you and your audience and I pray that uh, God will continue to work through this podcast and everybody who hears it. Yeah, definitely. Hey, everyone. Thank you so much for joining me for today's conversation with John Carroll. I don't know about you all, but I found what he said about being an apprentice of Jesus and following so closely after him like an apprentice that we become like him and more like him in every way. We'll link to John's information and the Dallas Willard School of Kingdom Living in the show notes. If you want to connect with John, be sure to tell him thanks for being on the show. And as always, you can follow us in all the places on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at, at Asbury Seminary. Until next time, I hope you'll go do something that helps you thrive.